So thanks very much for singing with us. And uh, I'm a full-time songwriter. Um, travel around singing songs, basically. And uh, I get to meet awesome people everywhere I go, you know. And um, I sing about Jesus Christ and the gospel and the hope that he is and what he's done in my life and I share the gospel I believe wholeheartedly that everybody has the right to hear the gospel everybody what they choose to do with that is that their decision you know I mean it's, it's a beautiful thing because it's a God-given right to choose your path and uh so basically I get to travel around and tell the truth and then play the guitar a bit, you know, so it's a... But if you'd have told me nine years ago I would be anywhere, anywhere singing about Jesus, I'd have bought you a pint and uh, maybe suggest a, a bit of counselling or something like that, you know. Um, just that was so far from my mind and what I was about. I was um, I was a bit of a party animal when I was 15. You know, I've got a 16-year-old son and he's uh, educating himself in the ways of the world. He's a good lad. And, uh, but I could really party. I mean, I was really good at partying. And um, very, I used to be much less of a man back then, you know, and uh, could charm the face of a donkey, you know, uh, gift of the gab. And um, I was very musical. I've been a musician all my life, classically trained. I uh, studied classical guitar at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music, which is now the Conservatoire, which is, you know, sounds very Glaswegian. Um, but um, I had quite a lot of issues. The partying from the, my teenage years just evolved and grew into this thing where I was, in my first year when I was 18, I could drink a bottle of vodka before going out. Uh, it was just insane amounts of booze, you know, and uni was a blur for me because, you know, you get liberated from parental rule, the banks throw money at you, they don't tell you it's not really yours. You get your student loan and I spent it on really important stuff like PlayStation 1, and uh, beer. I think I had an inflatable couch as well. Yeah, something like that. Got myself into so much debt. Um, and I was heavily into drugs as well. Drugs when I was a teenager, they weren't seen as a taboo thing. They were part of the, the nightlife, you know. So I was quite, I was into ecstasy, amphetamines, um, smoked a lot of weed. And uh, it wasn't without its consequences. And by mid-second year at uni, I tried to take my life. because I was so depressed. And uh, I had a very, very bad experience with cannabis. And it, honestly, it felt like my entire sort of concept and view of reality was being stretched. And it was just on the verge of a string breaking and I just thought it was going to lose my mind. And I never touched that stuff again, not really, because it just made me so paranoid and fearful. So they put me on antidepressants, which made it worse. Um, I think because I drank on top of them. And it wasn't long until I t tried to take my life again. 
it was just really, really quite a, a jump from two years before, you know. Um, I ended up getting asked to leave the academy because I, I just wasn't doing it. I just wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And I, I got so, um, so upset, I punched the wall so hard that it, it, it smashed the bones in my hand. And that was effectively the end of my classical guitar career. And I was good. I mean, I was really good. Um, I didn't have much of a social life until I was about 16. I just stayed in my room playing the guitar, you know. And uh, I just can't, I, my, my fingers are all rotated a bit, and I just can't do the stuff that I used to. So I found my resolve in lots of alcohol and drugs, basically. And the next few years were just crazy. And I, I ran away and ended up in Thailand, as you do. And uh, Thailand's great because it's like 60 pence for a bottle of whiskey. And it's not really whiskey, it's more like formaldehyde. Um, really bad stuff. Uh, the first few months were all right, but then I just locked myself in a house and drank, nearly drank myself to death, hospitalized twice. My mum had to come and get me because I just lost the plot. I lost about 30 kilos in weight. And uh, we got home two days before the tsunami. It was just, but I had a nervous breakdown on the flight. I couldn't look at anybody, I was so scared. And when I got home, uh, I couldn't go into the kitchen when the washing machine was on because it was too loud. I, d I wasn't able to look out my window. I mean, I was messed up. You know, very, very scared. Uh, referred to a psychiatric hospital and they gave me all kinds of mind-bending medication. I lasted six weeks and then I went out drinking again on top of this medication and that's when things got really bad. And uh, I left home because I wanted to drink in peace, away from nagging mother and father. And the council are great, they'll give you a, a room in a B&B, a TV, you know, when they used to have things coming out the back, and uh, one working channel, and uh, I drank my fortnightly benefit in about a day. So you need uh, money to feed addiction, so I, I sold what I could, I pawned a £2,000 guitar for 100 quid to buy drugs. And when I ran out of stuff to sell, I started begging, and I was begging on the streets and uh, stealing, stealing stuff and doing stuff for money I never imagined seeing myself doing, you know, it's just crazy what you'll do when you're desperate and uh, with a skin full of booze I was fearless, very aggressive, uh, I get kicked out of the hostels when I was sober I was scared of anybody, you know, it's just, just that thing. They'd find me in the hospital, or um, I'd wake up in hospital, I'd wake up in jail, I'd wake up on the side of the road. They told me I was going to die. I was 25. I didn't care. I just wanted to drink into oblivion. I didn't even know why I was drinking anymore. Because I was so aggressive, I, I, I'd always get kicked out of the homeless hostel, so I, I slept wherever I could. This would either be on a couch, a bed if I was lucky, but most of the time, I'd, I'd even fight with my friends, so I'd ended up out in the rough. Uh, it's not so bad at this time of year in the summer, but when the winter kicks in in Scotland and it gets below zero, 
It's horrific, man. Honestly, the cold. I hate the cold. And my wife will tell you that I hate snow. I hate it. I hate the snow. Um, having slept in it a few times. It wasn't so much about staying warm, it was about staying dry. Because if you didn't stay dry, you're sure to be an accident, an emergency that night. You know, I mean, when it gets really, really cold, it, the cold tries to kill you very slowly. And it's horrendous, man. Eh? And uh, it doesn't matter if you've been inside for about a week and had a shower or whatever, your hands are still freezing. I always remember how cold my hands were because you're cold from the inside out, you know. And the funny thing was I could have went home to my mum or my dad and had a bed, but it was on the condition that I was sober or clean. But I just didn't want to face them. And... Uh, that was my life for about a year. Um, Christmas 2005 was the worst experience I've ever had, sleeping out in the cold. And then I realised that if I didn't change, I was going to die. And uh, so I tried the AA, who are a great organisation, but for me, sitting in a room, listening to people talking about how hard it was not to drink, made me want to go to the pub. So that didn't work. I looked at rehab. There was one in the borders, which was about £10,000, which is a little unrealistic if you're homeless. And then uh, I came across a, a sign on the the, 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 uh, the doctors, I think it was, for the Bethany Christian Centre. Have you heard of Bethany? So I gave him my phone. I came in for an interview, and the manager gave me a wee interview. Dave's the manager at the centre. And uh, that's who spoke to me when I came in. And they said they do a recovery program, but it's a Christian recovery program, sort of God-centered and Christ as their foundation. I didn't care about any of that, but uh, I just wanted a. I just wanted. I, I knew I was going to die, so I just. I just said I don't care. I need the. I need the therapy. And they gave me a bed on the 13th of February 2006. And I remember it well because the Scottish had just been gubbed by the English at rugby again. And uh, I couldn't use it as an excuse to go drinking. You know what I mean? First night was a tough one. Shared it with a room uh, with a guy called Bernard. He shared a room to begin with. And Bernard lasted one night and he couldn't, couldn't handle it and he left. It was, it was, it was tough. I saw that guy again about a year and a half later, beard down to hair, hair everywhere, stinking of booze and completely mental, just lost. But um, the first couple of weeks in the centre, you, you, you let your body kind of get back to working order, right? Because you're drinking enough booze and taking enough drugs that you're just, your body doesn't work properly. And they had a couple of guitars in the centre and they were absolutely rubbish. And um, it, they had to be, they kind of be expensive because they could end up in cash converter, you know. And uh, so I started writing songs um, about being homeless and being an addict and stuff, you know, really cheerful stuff. And uh, I wasn't doing it for anybody, but in my room, I, I kind of did it just to kind of get stuff off my chest. I had a lot of time on my hands and I had lots to write about, so I did it. I'll do you one song because you look like you're on the edge. And... Uh, but um, 
It will get happier, I promise. Right. But this is the first song I ever wrote. It's basically my testimony on a daily basis. You know, it's um, they say it's one day at a time. It's always one day at a time. I could tell you at the minute what my uh, schedule was in the morning, waiting for eight o'clock to go and get my booze. I could tell you exactly how much all the booze was in every shop in the Leith area. Aldi's, news agents, the lot. And you didn't count your money as £5.34, it was uh, four cans of special and a bottle of white line and the alcoholic calculator, you know. And uh, you weren't drinking to get drunk anymore because you, you just could, didn't work, you know. If you had um, withdrawals, you could have seizures, it can kill you, it's very dangerous. So you go and try and get some booze just to cope, you know. And if I had my benefits, sometimes I would acquire a couple of pint glasses, fill one with a half bottle of vodka, fill the other one with juice or whatever, take a deep breath down the pint of vodka and then down some of the juice so that it diluted in my stomach. And then just sat back and wait for the DT, DTs to abide. And if I didn't have money, it was usually fortified wine at a Lidl's, and I could drink that stuff by the pint in the winter. Honestly, I drank hardened alcoholics at 25 years under the table, and it scared them. I didn't, it didn't even bother me, but it used to scare these guys that I could drink that much. But I wrote this song, and it's about my testimony. Being an addict's a full-time job, 24-7. You don't get paid though, and there's no holidays. It's just, uh, it's just a horrible, horrible thing. So self, I've never come across anything more self-destructive than addiction. But this is called Alcoholic Synonymous, because that's what I was. I used to swear every second and third word back then, so it's a wee bit shorter. <laughs> Sorry, tough crowd. cheerful stuff I wrote a lot of songs like that in the centre and uh, the irony was um, I cut my teeth singing in the pubs and clubs singing songs like that and they were very well received by folk drinking and uh, it was weird and uh, there's a real appreciation for depressive music in Britain you know so Every cloud, and uh, but um, the best part about getting sober is you get your appetite back. And I'm uh, I'm not a fussy eater, you know. I like uh, I like my food. Um, Bethany would get lots of uh, nice food donated to them by people like Marks and Spencers, which wasn't too shabby. They developed the Bethany belly. It's a healthy sign of recovery, you know, and. Uh, you would do your groups, which was, I've got to say, this, and I've never been in a church with a disco ball, so this is officially the coolest church I've ever played in. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's awesome. And, uh, but you would do your group classes in the morning, and then in the afternoon you had some time to do whatever, really. And uh, Bethany would encourage you to do things like going to the cinema or playing football or... Um, just 
normal stuff, going for a walk, going to the library, um, community education, learning how to do stuff, all these kind of things. Um, they tried to put a bit of normal, normal normality back in your life, but you know, these were abnormal. To an addict, you wouldn't go to the cinema because that's a bottle of vodka, you know, and you wouldn't uh, go to the park unless you had a carry-out. And the people that you would hang about with, you'd go drinking with them, you know. I mean, if you had money, everybody was your pal, like, you know. Uh, but they would also invite you to the occasional Christian thing because that's what Christians do. They invite you to Christian st stuff, you know. And uh, I would politely decline on every occasion until one day I had on the notice board free five-course dinner. <laughs> right? And... Uh, it was in a, 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 what I would consider a posh hotel in Perth, the, the station in, you know, when you're coming out there. Like, uh, I'm from a place called Musselborough, and, you know, if you get three courses, you're doing very well. It was, it was usually Christmas time, you'd get your prawn cocktail and your turkey, and then you'd have some ice cream to finish with, you know what I mean? So I was naturally curious of what the other two courses might be. And I uh, went for the foods, and was, was a wee bit disappointed that the last course was a cup of coffee. But there you go. <laughs> Uh, every time, Dave, every time. I always get to be laugh. But, uh, just as we were finishing, a minister stood up. They'd lured us in with the promise of food, and then the minister stood up, and we couldn't get out, so we had to listen to him. And uh, I thought, this guy's going to tell me how righteous he is and how unrighteous I am and how I need what he's got. So here we go again, you know. And uh, I was actually very surprised because what came out of this guy's mouth was completely unexpected for me. I'd never heard a testimony before, but when this guy had been younger, he'd been a bad guy. He'd been a gangster, a violent man. He'd done time in prison for nearly killing somebody. Did a lot of drugs. Uh, thief. You name it. He'd probably done it. And uh, this was confusing to me because I thought church ministers, part of the job requirement was you never did anything wrong. You were a stand-up pillar of the community, you know. It was kind of a naive stereotype, but um, I thought that's what it was all about. It's a bit like, you know, folk that go to church, they're goody-goody, you know. I'm not goody-goody and I go to church, you know. But um, I really kind of related to this guy quite a bit. So uh, he spoke about becoming a Christian, and what that meant to him, that God wasn't just something that he did on a Sunday. It was part of his life every day. And he spoke about this guy called Jesus, and it didn't make me feel, it didn't make me cringe, and it didn't feel awkward, you know. But he said that God gave him the strength to break the chains that had been killing him, and the courage to walk away from that life and to start living another one, reborn in Christ. And I'll be honest with you, I had no idea what that meant, Right? But then he said, there's freedom in Christ. And that got my attention because the truth is, if you speak to any prisoner about the true prospect of freedom, they're going to give you their full attention. And my prison didn't have any walls in it. The horizon was my prison. My addiction was my prison. I ran all the way to Thailand and I was still a prisoner. But he said, there's no such thing as 50% free. If you want to be free in Christ... You've got to give them everything. 
So I'm sitting there and I'm really quite excited and terrified at the same time because I want this, what this guy's got, talking about. But it meant turning my back on stuff. But I took a step of faith that night, a real step, maybe a, more of a lunge, you know. And I went forward and I prayed and there was, it wasn't in a church, I wasn't reading a Bible. I never said anything eloquent, I just said, God, if you can hear me, if you can hear me, God, you know. I'm so sorry. I just want a life that's worth living, and if that means following you, I'm in. I'm a skeptical man, but when I prayed that prayer, I felt a great sense of peace wash over me. A great sense of relief. All the anger and the fear and the shame, everything that I carried for 10 years, I never knew how heavy it was until it felt like somebody had lifted it from my shoulders I'd never felt peace as an adult before I was constantly in fear trying to get something to just make me feel whole and suddenly this peace just washed over me and it absolutely broke me I went from a man that looked in at his own soul which is the nature of addiction to suddenly looking out and I'll be honest with you I didn't understand (laughs) at what But for the first time in my life, I didn't feel like the center of the universe. The peace was, you know, the kind of peace when you're a kid and you didn't have to worry about anything except who's going and goes. Right? That kind of peace. You didn't need to worry about anything. You're just comforted, you know. Getting something off your chest in a very big way. And uh, here's a wee song about that. The man I heard speak that night was a minister called Cammy McKenzie. He's a good friend. He's barking mad as well. Don't know if you know Cammy. He's just an incredible guy. And I've got to be honest, nothing changed when I became a Christian, you know what I mean? It wasn't like abracadabra, here's a nice shiny guitar, or a Glaswegian wife, a house, three kids, and a dog. These are things I'm very blessed to have today. But when I became a Christian, I was homeless, no contact with friends and family. I didn't even have a bank account. I got myself into that much debt. And a list of problems... You couldn't shake a stick at, you know. But for the first time in my life, I didn't think I was the center of the universe. You know, you don't know what it's like to suddenly look in at yourself so much that you're blind to the rest of the world. And Cammy said to me, you know, do you really think if you weren't an addict, you'd have no problems? He said, life's hard, but you can rise to it. You can rise to the challenge. You need to be on your knees every day praying to God for strength and guidance but always thank him for the cross before you do anything else so I did I prayed in my wee room it wasn't the Ritz like but it was my wee room you know and I prayed every day and I prayed for strength and I prayed for guidance and I thank God for the cross and you know what I found strength which doesn't sound like much but see when you've been powerless to addiction for 10 years a wee bit of strength is a miracle instead of reaching for the bottle I was reaching for a bible 
And see, when they did the recovery course and they spoke about Jesus and the things that he, he did and the things that he said about love, compassion, forgiveness. I mean, that meant something to me. I mean, it really meant something to me. And I did the course. At, I mean, I spent eight months in the centre and it was the hardest thing I've ever done, getting straight. You've got to change everything about yourself. I apologised to lots of folk. Some of them said... You can get stuffed. But others said, you know, we forgive you. You're an idiot. But we love you. And I had to, I had to accept that. I think the, the hardest apology was to my mum and dad who'd heard every excuse except I found Jesus. I don't think they believe me, honestly. You found God, son. Good for you. You've been sober four months. It's good for us. But you should see their faces when they come round to my house now. Right? I don't have to say anything. Because I've got three beautiful kids and they are a witness to the grace of God. You know what I mean? I never thought in my, my, my worst moment when I was on the streets begging and stuff that anything good can come for me. Anything precious could come for me and yet I get to look into the eyes of my daughters every day. And I don't have the words to accurately tell you how that makes me feel. It's a blessing. It's just incredible. If you don't believe in miracles, you're looking at one. I'm looking at lots. God is good. All the time. It's been nine years or thereabouts since I left the centre. I've married, had some kids. My wife had them. And, uh, they, make, they, make, they make my clouds big. The first one was £10.11. So, yeah, so like, men will not understand what that means. So, um, and uh, I started writing about my faith in 2009. Shared my testimony, and somebody said, "You've got a ministry. This is what you're meant to do with the rest of your life." I've been praying for four years, asking God what I'm supposed to do. And that was when somebody came in and said, "This is what you're meant to do." And uh, it's great. I get to travel and tell the truth. I believe that Jesus Christ is the King of Heaven and the Lord of all the earth. He's the only King I've ever heard of that left his kingdom for his people. He wasn't born into a palace. He was born in the squalor of a borrowed stable to show his people that he was humble enough to go anywhere for them. He changed the world in about a very short space of time. Some people say it was about three years. And he didn't do it with an army, persecution, weapons. He did it with love, compassion, Wisdom and the truth. Now, I double dare you to find anybody else that's done that in history. I dare you. Don't take my word for it. I'm just a bum that likes to play the guitar. Right? Jesus came, did great things, and basically told us what the meaning of life was. He brought new hope to a, to a world that was broken. He knowingly went to his death on a cross, becoming sin, all sin, so that when he gave his life, it died with him. And that reconciled us back to God. And if that wasn't enough, he rose out of the shadows of hell. Defeating death. I mean, that is a biggie. <laughs> Defeating death. To show us that if we trust him, we, we don't need to be ruled by death. We can be alive in Christ. We shall not perish if we put our trust and faith in him 
Salvation, redemption, incredible stuff. Incredible story. Incredible Jesus. But that's the start of your journey. Because the walk with God is mind-blowing. Like I said, if you'd have told me I'd have been anywhere singing about Jesus nine years ago, I'd have bought you a pint. Right? I'll give you a couple of examples of how privileged I am to do what I do. I sang and shared the gospel for the Hell's Angels in Copenhagen Prison. I shared the gospel with uh, some very scary tattooed Russian gangsters in a Polish prison. I've been lucky enough to sing on Songs of Praise at six in the morning. It was crazy. I've also met Alan Jones on Radio 2 at seven in the morning. I've never met a man so awake in my life. You know, I got to go to Uganda. You're talking about Uganda. I got to go there. Uganda is mind-blowing. It's just a land of contradiction. And people that have absolutely nothing give you everything because they know the joy of Christ. It's just incredible. I did a gig for the Glasgow City Mission last week and I got to share with the homeless guys that they have more to offer. They're not worthless. They can make a difference. Because at the very least, I make a difference to the people in my life. And I know how much I'm worth when they give me a cuddle or a kiss. You know what I mean? The gospel of Jesus is just an incredible thing. And you know what? There are billions of people out there that need to hear it. Many of them will never be homeless. They'll never be guitar players. They'll probably have more in common with you than they'll ever have with me. So never be scared to share your testimony because your testimony has the power to change somebody's life. Because at the center of it, is the grace of God. It took one guy 15 minutes to share his testimony way back when in Perth and it just changed everything for me. You could do that. You could actually give somebody a little bit of information about Jesus and the gift that he brings of salvation and redemption. It's just mind-blowing. Do you not think so? Um... I think I've talked enough about what Christ has done in my life, but I, w- I would love to see what Jesus does with your life in eight years, eight, nine years. You know what I mean? That would really excite me. See, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'll say two things. One, you can, right? You don't need to like or subscribe. You just pray and ask him to come into your life. You make a commitment to follow him forever. And the second thing I'll say is, why not? What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose, man? You've got everything to gain. So I'm just going to say a wee prayer before we finish with a song or two. Is that all right? So I'll say a wee prayer. So we'll just bow our eyes and bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'll say, Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is to call you Lord and King. A King who didn't ride into Jerusalem to vanquish his enemies but a king that rode into Jerusalem to give his life for his enemies it is just such a privilege to call you king Lord Jesus I just I'm going to lift up this prayer if there's people here that don't know Jesus Christ but they want to commit their lives to you, Lord, I just pray that we'll say this prayer together. And for people that have maybe, that are struggling, 
They want to turn back to you, Lord, and cling to you and your grace. We'll just we'll say this prayer, Lord. And we pray that you'll just you'll just bless it. So, Lord, we thank you that you came. We thank you for what you did. We thank you for your sacrifice. That when you gave your life, our sin died with you. You redeemed us. Lord, we are making, I am making a commitment to you right now. I'm going to follow you. I want you to come into my heart and my life. I want it to be all about you, Lord. Lead me ever towards your throne. Lord Jesus, from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. So I don't know if you're up for a song, are you? Aye. Okay.